Acts chapter 2, 5 through 13. If you can, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 2, 5 through 13. When you're there, say amen, please. Good deal. Beginning in verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. My God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. So we, here we are in the book of Acts in chapter 2. The day of Pentecost has arrived and things are, are beginning to happen. Things are beginning to happen. Uh, in verse 5 it says this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as we start, we need to understand who was the audience that was there. The audience that was there. There were, of course, there were men and women and children, but it it calls out the men. Devout men, it says. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to see that there were Jews there, and they were very devout men. How were they devout? To the customs, to the law of God. These were devout men. They were, if you would call them, holy. They knew the Word of God. Devout. But then we also see in verse 11 that these, Jew, these Jews that were, that were devout, we also see there were some there that were proselytes. Proselytes were the who? The Gentiles that had been circumcised and been brought into those Jewish traditions and laws and customs and and all the other things that went with it. So you have the Jews that were devout, you had the proselytes, but you also have another company that, and there's always this, this, there's always this group in the company of people that are trying to worship God. Anybody tell me who they are? The mockers, right? The mockers. David, you knew that answer, didn't you? You should have just said it. The mockers. The mockers were the ones that were there too. So you have these three, three different types of people here that were in the crowd. Verse 11 tells us this. Here at this great sermon that Peter is fixing to deliver, there were Jews and there were proselytes. Verse 13 tells us that there were the doubters, the skeptics, the mockers of the day. And so this is what Peter is fixing to preach to. This is what Peter is fixing to give his message to. 
And I can't help but to think throughout the generations that ministers are continuing to do the same thing, continuing every Sunday, every Wednesday, and and during revivals to stand up and to give messages and the proclamation of the gospel to these types of people, to those that are legit, to those that have been grafted in, and then you got those that are strictly there to mock, they're skeptics, they don't want to be there, and they'll find anything they can do or say not to believe it. To stop their ears up. Because they don't want to hear it. It's foolishness to them. And so I do not doubt that even this morning in our small assembly that we have the different types gathered. What's fixing to happen in our text is that the gospel is going to be preached to a multitude of people. To some, it pricked their hearts. If you go to the end of Peter's sermon, you see where their hearts were pricked. Their hearts were pierced. To some, their hearts were pierced. To some, they couldn't, they wouldn't hear it. It was foolishness to them. A vast majority of the people there, they, had, they heard so clearly, so beautifully, that they took notice. There were people there, and the vast majority heard them clearly, and they heard them very eloquently, very beautifully. They took notice, and they listened. But to the others that were there, to the mockers, it seemed to be as gibberish. As something that was... They couldn't understand it. Well, they've been drinking. Wine bibbers. To the vast majority, it was life-giving. Very life-giving. But to the others, they did not have ears to hear with. And it said that these men were to, were to be said to be dwelling in Jerusalem. There's a lot of different thoughts on this. I think that there's two thoughts that are, that are very, very true. And, and both of them can be true. They were expecting the Messiah and they were expecting the Messiah to come very soon. Because all of the stuff began to, to culminate and, and come together. And so there was all these men from all over the world that had moved into this region. But not only that... It was also the time of Pentecost. And so you had this huge group converge on Jerusalem at this time. And the Lord is going to use Simon Peter, a Galilean, a fisherman, to preach to this mass audience. Remember, this was the time of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost was when the first fruits of the wheat harvest were offered unto the Lord. Not barley, which happened there at the first fruits on the third day, after, on the day of the resurrection. That was the, that was the first first fruits. But here we have another first fruits, that's the first fruits of the wheat harvest. 
And what we're fixing to see take place is the Lord is the Lord truly of the harvest. He is fixing to bring in a a bundle of sheaves. He is fixing to bring in a bundle of souls. And he's going to use the gospel message to do that on this special day, Pentecost. This wheat harvest is going to show us it's going to be a symbol and a type of the souls that will be ingathered during that time. Those 3,000 souls that were to be saved that day, it was a type of first fruits from the outpouring of the Spirit that would be gathered to the Lord. Just as Boaz went out and gathered wheat, gathered barley, the Lord was gathering His children. And He was going to use the gospel to do so. And so we have here on this day, wheat harvest, first fruit day, where the sheaves were brought, bringing in the sheaves, bringing, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Sharon does because she's a piano player. Bringing in the sheaves. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost, 50 days after. The sheaves were brought in in a mass quantity. The preaching of the gospel was given and the sheaves answered. And trusted. It was a display of what was to come. That the Spirit of God could not be stopped. It would be like the vine that that Jason spoke about last week out of John chapter 15. Jesus says that I am the vine. You cannot stop a vine from going where it wants to go. A vine can even penetrate through concrete. So the Spirit would be sent throughout the four corners of the globe. It was was to display what was to come. To establish the church there in Jerusalem. And then from establishing the church there in Jerusalem, it was fixing to spread like those vines. In other words... These were the greater works that Jesus spoke about. You remember when he told the disciples that? John chapter 14 and verse 12. John says this. uh, Yeah, John tells us this. Jesus, Jesus is speaking in the text. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I... Excuse me. That I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Here we have Acts chapter 2 written all over this passage of Scripture. He's going to the Father. Why is He going to the Father? So that the Spirit can come. What are the greater works that He's talking about? The miraculous... Listen to me. I've listened to a lot of sermons on this particular passage of Scripture. From different denominations from different places, from different countries. People want the miraculous. They want arms to grow out. Legs to grow out. They want the afflicted healed. And they want to see it. People want that. I want that. I know that you would want to see that too. 
I mean, how awesome, how cool would that be? I mean, these are really great miracles. For someone that's born with, that, that, is an, that is got a, a limb missing. Or that's shriveled up. For the Lord to say, stretch out your arm and it happens. Can you imagine how beautiful that must be? To see someone be restored like that? But that's not what Jesus is talking about. The greater works than these that Jesus is talking about is that of salvation. See, what was fixing to be poured out was the Spirit of God. And we're going to see it spread so fast. People want signs and they want wonders and they want miracles and they want all this stuff to happen. All the while they underestimate the power of the miraculous gift of salvation. I'm not saying that he can't do those things. And I'm not saying that he can't do them still yet. But I'm telling you the greater works than these, what he was talking about, was the sending of the Spirit so the gospel could be preached and so people's lives could be transformed from the inside out. The miraculous gift of salvation is the greatest of all miracles. Can anybody give me an amen on that? Salvation, it is is the greatest gift. There's nothing better. Take your eyeballs out, take your arms off and your legs off. Take organs out. You got salvation. You got Jesus. You're going to glory. The greatest of all gifts is that of salvation. You want to see miracles? Preach the gospel. Everybody. You want to see miracles? Preach the gospel to your family. Call them out by name. Minister to them. Tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ. Come in contact with them and deliberately, very purposely, go to them and say, Jesus loves you and He can save you. Look to Him. Miracles. The greatest miracle of all is someone that was dead being brought back to life, right? Just as Jesus shows us that in in the Gospels. Here in our text, the greatest miracle that we could see, that we could ever desire and ever want for our loved ones, is for them to be brought out of their dead spiritual state and be given life. I can remember when that happened with Jacory. Four years ago, four and a half years ago. He heard the word of God. And it made him alive. The spirit of God was so thick on Jacory that night. What did he tell you, Joanne? We got to go home. I can't stay around here no more. And then he surrendered his life to the Lord by faith. And he ain't been the same since. Why? Because he was dead, but now he's alive. That's a miracle. 
This is what Jesus is speaking of. Listen to what it says. Verse 6, And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The giving of the Spirit was accompanied with a sound, a mighty sound, a sound that caused a multitude together. It caused a multitude together. And they were all bewildered. How many people can testify this morning that our God is not dead, but He is alive? That He's still making sounds. Okay? He is still doing that. A lot of people believe that it's going to get worse. I I believe it's going to get worse. But one thing I do know is that He is still alive. He is not dead. He is still making sounds. And He is still bringing people out of the miry pit, out of the miry clay, out of the pit that's dry, out of the pit that is where there is death, just like where Joseph was at. He is lifting them up and He is putting new songs in their mouth, even praised Himself. He is still doing this because He is alive. Alive. There was a sound that was heard. A sound. He's not dead, guys. He is alive. Each one of them heard it. Even the mockers heard it. They didn't hear quite what the others heard, but they still heard something. These 3,000 were bewildered. And I mean 3,000, those that were saved that day. These 3,000 were bewildered because they heard them preaching in their own native tongue. Verse 7, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? It says that they were amazed and astonished. Why? Because they heard the Galileans speak languages, their own languages. That would have taken a lifetime to learn. There are languages all over the world. Can't learn them all. Take you a lifetime. But Peter, as he stood up to preach, he preached in his own native tongue. In his Galilean tongue, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, those people that were from all over the world heard him very clearly and very eloquently in their own language. And they were in amazement at how much power he had when he preached with what authority. They make mention that he is from Galilee. These Galileans, right? Right? Okay, all right. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? These were, for the most part, unlearned men and women. They were hard workers, they were fishermen, laborers. They were Galilean, they had accents. They had Jonesville accents. (laughs) Helen got a big kick out of that. She just laughed out loud. Jonesville accents. Larto accents. Sandy Lake accents. Sandy Lake. 
You know you can tell when somebody's from Sandy Lake? Yes or no? You can tell. Y'all are all, y'all don't want to say nothing. But see, I'm from the outside coming in, and I, and I hear people in Jonesville, I'm like, you must be Sandy Lake. Are you from Parms? Larto, that's where you're at. Whole different accent. Accents that you can't just do away with. There was a young lady that came to our house last night with Judy. Y'all might remember her. her name was Olivia. She was at the halfway house at, uh, with Debbie McClure, and she was she came from South Louisiana. Her name was her name is Olivia Plaisance. And she is from she is from the very bottom of Louisiana. And from the time she walks in, there is no way that you could talk to her and say, Well, she's from Jonesville. Ain't no way. Because she ain't. She is not from Jonesville. She is from South Louisiana. And she bears a, she bears a very heavy accent. She can't change that. At all. <laughs> Here in our text, we see this 120. They were glorifying God and praising God and speaking of God and these people were hearing their own languages, but not with accents, not with something that was unlearned, but something that was learned, something that was true and something that was pure. They spoke as if they had known the language their whole life, even though they were speaking in their own language. The people heard them in their own language. I speak Grant Parish, Jonesvillian, whatever. But the people in Mexico would hear me speak in Spanish fluently. This is what happened on this day. So that the gospel would go forth, that the spirit would be spread into the lives of those that were around. And so the message would go to the four corners of the earth. But I'm not done. I want you to pay attention to what's going on here. Listen to what it says. Verse 8. In my glasses. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. All of these different languages that were there, remember... They were all Jews, some proselytes, but they heard them speak in their own native tongue. How awesome is that? The greatest example is Simon Peter when he stands up to preach by himself. He preaches his language and they hear in theirs. You see, there's no barriers that the Lord cannot overcome. For the gospel to be spread. You just can't stop it. And so he gave them this power. It says this. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Verse 11 says, both Jews and proselytes... 
Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 11 says, we hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. Now, we have talked about this to an extent before. But it's worthy to go back over the wonderful works, the mighty works. What were they? Are they just talking about creation? Were they in there talking about the Lord creating the heavens and the earth? I don't think so. I don't think so. See, what they were hearing is what Peter then comes in and preaches over. In Acts chapter 2, he is going to preach this message and this message was being conveyed. They were worshiping together and preaching about what Jesus had done for the people. What's Jesus done for us? He's given us a remission of sins, hasn't he? You know how wonderful it is to have your sins forgiven? You're on death row, in jail, waiting for execution. And the governor walks in with a piece of paper, signs it and says, you have been pardoned. Can you imagine the joy and the relief that a person would feel to understand that their crime against them or that they committed is now wiped away? No wonder they made such a noise. I stand in amazement that we don't do it more. That we don't bless the Lord's name for the sins that He has taken away from us that He does not charge to our account anymore. We should all, just everybody tell me, Amen. Tell the Lord, Amen. Amen. We should all be saying this because of the remission of sins. He has taken our sins and he has scattered them as far as the east is from the west. He has washed us clean by the blood of the Lamb, removed them, taken them away. We have been fully and forever forgiven. This is what they were hearing. The work of Jesus. They heard of redemption. Redemption. For remission to take place, redemption has to take place. Redemption has to take place. We had to be bought back from the power of sin and death and the law. And to do this meant Jesus had to pay for our freedom with his very own blood. See, what they were preaching and what they were speaking and what they were singing about and praising God about is what the Lord had done for them. Oh, if we could just do that more. If we could just tell others more about what Jesus has done for us. We might have some of the same movement that Acts chapter 2 had. Jesus had to pay for our freedom with His very blood. And in that blood, we have those remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. But they would have also talked about regeneration. 
Being born again. And this is what it leads to, right? Being born again. Big word for being born again. Regeneration. Being saved by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Looking up to Him by faith. These are the wonderful works of God that they, they would have, have been hearing. Sinners receiving a full pardon for their sins by trusting in the Savior. We so often and so quickly want to go to the mysterious and the miraculous. But we fail to see what is right in front of us. And that is the rebirth, the new, someone dead coming to life. That is the miracle that we need to be preaching. Dead people coming to life. Spiritually dead and spiritually bankrupt. Only can be brought to life by the Lord God Almighty. But I want us to hear something. They heard these things clearly. It was not gibberish. They heard them clearly. What does it say? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. It was not some broken language that they were trying to piece together. I cannot speak Spanish, but when I go to Mexico or Honduras or wherever they speak it, I can say, hola, como estas? And then they rattle off a bunch and I say, uh, 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 no hablo española. It was none of that. No, they heard them clearly. They heard them clearly. This is something that we have to understand. If you don't hear anything else, you need to understand that when they heard them speak, it was clear. And what they heard was the gospel. Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what does this mean? It says there was amazement there. Something was happening there. 13. Remember there were those that heard the wonderful mighty works of God. They heard them clearly. We can suppose that those were the 3,000 that believed and were pricked to the hearts. But there's also still yet another group that we have to consider that's in every group. The skeptic. The mockers, the obstinate, those that know everything, those that that don't want to be taught, don't want to submit to a holy and a righteous God because they've got it figured out. Verse 13, it says, But others mocking said they are filled with new... It wasn't even wine season at the time. That was a fall thing. They said they are filled with new wine. They were filled with something for sure. It wasn't new wine. It was the Spirit of God. See, even those that were mocking took note that they were filled with something. And we cannot go through our life as children of God and and, and not show the goodness of God to the world. 
there must be people saying to you, you are filled with something. There is something different about you. But so often, the children of God don't look any different than those that are of the kingdom of Satan. They don't speak of him, talk about him, do nothing for him. These people that were mocking took note that these other people were filled with something. Do people see you filled with something? I ask myself this very same question and I ask it all the time. Can they see me filled with Christ and His gospel? Can they? These are convicting questions and I have to seriously consider them. Because if they cannot see that we are filled with the Spirit of God, we have a major, major problem. And I'll tell you what it is. The church is not doing what the church is supposed to be doing. So we have to examine our life to see if we are filled. Even the mockers noticed that they were filled. They didn't understand what they were filled with because they were obstinate, but they understood that they were filled. Listen to what it says. Here we have the mockers, the skeptics. More than likely some of the same people that hated Christ and called him a wine-bibber in Matthew 11 and 19. You remember that? He's a, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber is what they call him. The scribes and the Pharisees. He eats with sinners. How dare he? He's a drunk. If they treated Christ a certain way, don't you see that they will treat his disciples a certain way as well? And there's no difference here. This is exactly what's taking place is what they said against Christ in Matthew 11 in, chapter, in verse 19. He's a wine-bibber. Look at them. They're shouting it out from the crowd. The gospel is preached and they're offended. It's a stumbling block for them. And so what's the first thing they do? They bring an insult to the table to insult the early church. A wine-bibber. They're drunk. I want you to take careful notice of the mockers. They did not hear clearly what was being said. Remember I told you to listen to me when I told you that the other people were heard clearly? They heard their language clearly. The gospel message preached. But these mockers, they didn't hear so clearly, did they? Because they call them drunk. They're full of new wine. You ever heard somebody drunk before? Stuttering and stammering over their words? And can't say anything? It's just a bunch of gibberish? Here we have the mockers and this is what they're saying. About those that were filled with the Spirit of God. It's strange to me that so many heard clearly their own language. So many heard perfectly and, and it was very eloquent and very beautiful. And they could understand it and, and it resonated with them. 
But the others just heard gibberish and couldn't understand what was going on. They're full of new wine, they say. The 3,000 that were saved were pricked to the heart. They didn't say anything about them being full of new wine. Their sins were being revealed to them and they were too busy trying to deal with their own sins before a righteous God. But these obstinate, hard-hearted mockers began to accuse them of being filled with new wine. Why? I mean, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. Why would they do this? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 18 and I will show you why. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I will show you why that they heard what they heard. Remember, some heard clearly, while others heard not so clearly. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, and let's go through... Let's go through 25, and really 231 is is worthy to be read, but I'm just, for the sake of this morning, I'm going to read 18 and following. Listen to what it says. This is going to give us the answer why the mockers heard what they heard while the others heard so clearly. There is a big difference in hearing drunk talk and a big difference in hearing clearly. Can anybody testify to that? Okay, let's get with it then. 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. What does that mean? They can't hear it. It's foolishness to them. They can't hear it. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What was happening in Acts chapter 2? This very thing. The ones that were being saved, it was the power of God. Why? Because they heard clearly the message of God. But to those that were obstinate and hard in heart, the cross was folly or foolishness. In verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 23, listen to what it says, because this is going to give us a better picture of what happened at Pentecost in Acts in chapter 2. Why there were some that heard and some that did not hear so clearly. 23, But we preach Christ crucified. What was the 120 doing? They were preaching Christ crucified. They were preaching the gospel message. And there were people being saved. But then you had the obstinate, the mockers. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is he saying here? What is he saying? That the gospel has gone out into the world and some people when they hear it, it is foolishness to them. They want to have nothing to do with it. 
But for those that receive it by faith, it is the power of God unto salvation. And that's exactly what was happening in Acts chapter 2. The people preached. The people glorified God. Peter stood up and preached. 3,000 were saved. But you also had the mockers. And the mockers were there and they said, you know what? They're full of new wine. Why? Because it was foolishness to them. It was a stumbling block to them. They were obstinate and hard in heart and couldn't hear it. So while others were being blessed and being saved and being born again, the mockers, they heard their foolishness. They couldn't grasp what was going on. And I would even dare say that those mockers were the same ones that was mocking Christ. Those scribes and those Pharisees, those Essenes, those Sadducees, those people that hated Him. Those people that rejected Him. And in every single crowd, every crowd, every crowd, you have the same thing. Those that receive Him by faith... Like what's fixing to happen in Acts chapter 2 when we get into Peter's sermon? It all happens the same way. Maybe by different means, but the same thing happens that the heart is pricked. That our sins are laid bare. And then we trust in Christ by faith and born again. All happens the same way. And then you have those that are the mockers. It is foolishness to them. They're obstinate in heart. And I can't judge man's heart. God does that. He's the judger of the heart. I I have no idea. But I know this, that Joel and Isaiah say that in the last days that the Spirit would be poured out. And we see it poured out. In Acts in chapter 2. And so if they prophesied that and that prophecy has come to pass, we know that we are in the last days. So I would recommend that each and every single one of us examine our own heart to see if we are in the faith. To make your calling and election sure. That's what I would recommend. You're either those that hear... Or you're the ones that don't. And the ones that don't, they're hard-hearted. And the gospel being preached to them. You know what it does when you preach the gospel to the hard-hearted, to the ones that just continually reject it? It makes them flare up, don't it? This is what happened with these here in Acts 2. They flared up, didn't they? You can always know and you can always tell when you throw a rock in a room full of dogs. Why? Because the one you hit with it is one's going to yell. They're loud. And these mockers, this is what happened. There were those that were contemplating what was going on in amazement and bewilderment and astonished and perplexed. But the mockers, they smarted off as soon as they heard it. They spouted off at the mouth at those that were glorifying the Lord. And so this morning as we get through here in verse 13, my time is 
my time is up. This morning, as we, as we get through verse 13, we need to see that in every crowd there are two different types. Those that receive and believe and understand and serve, submit, and then those that mock and that are skeptic and don't believe by faith. They don't believe it by faith. And so I'm going to leave you with that. I'm just going to, I'm going to stop right there and leave you with that because when we pick this back up, we're going to get into Simon Peter's sermon that changed the world. Literally, that changed the world. And we're going to see what happens in Simon Peter's sermon. He's going to accuse them. He is going to rebuke them. He is going to preach the message of the gospel to them. He is going to show them life, eternal life. But more than anything, he is going to stand up. Possibly on a precipice somewhere. With boldness. And this once fisherman who spoke Galilean is going to stand up and he's going to preach one of the greatest messages that ever hit the planet. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that the next time that we meet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.